Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 37th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, life comes at you fast, doesn't it? You know, one day you think you're playing Bolton and then you're an Icelander and, uh, you know, a lot can change in, in 24 hours, you know? Yeah, it seems like, uh, I guess somehow the deck that wants heroes to block them with attack actions is bad against the deck that wants to block with their non-attack actions. Is that, is that kind and of what happened? For four, for four, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it just beats you up and then you get no time and then you die. Yeah, they they, so, they attack you with their attack actions and they block you with their non-attack actions. It's not fair for poor Bolton. Yeah, I, I was just like, I put I said this in the Wolfpack Discord, but I just, my brain was going back to like Orlando in 15 months ago. And it's like, oh yeah, I just like crushed Briar all weekend. Like clearly the deck has not changed in 15 months from Lightning Briar to whatever it is now. They still have like nine ball lightnings in their deck, right? No. Plus three lightning press? No. No? They still, they have cards that block now? They do. They do block now. They have a lot of four blocks in their deck. I think they have, I think the minimum I've seen in a list is nine. Unlucky. Plus, they might board in Dreax against you. It's just, it's just tough. Yeah. So, I guess before we reveal the main topic episode, though, I want everybody to look to their left, and then look to their right, and then look in a mirror, and then realize that only fifty percent of our listeners have subscribed to this channel, and we're at like nine hundred sixteen subscribers right now. And when we get to a thousand subscribers. We're going to give away cool stuff. We're going to do a special episode of the podcast where we talk about special things for our thousand subscribers. And it'll be a wonderful celebration of 1,000 YouTube subscribers. So right. make sure you're doing your part. Did you say 50% of our listeners are subscribed? That's what our YouTube analytics says. That's actually like a really good conversion rate. I feel like most things have like way worse than 50%. I want like 90%. Everybody needs I want to subscribe. A, Why are I you want listening if you're not subscribed, honestly? Is that what's going dedicated, on? <laughs> dedicated listener base that uh, is at least subscribed on YouTube. I'm not asking them to give us money on Patreon. That's a, I would, I'll take like a 50% conversion rate to Patreon, you know, but so, it's free 99 to hit that subscribe button. You see, you see that little subscribe button right, right, right down here? You could just, you could just click it. Thanks. I, Appreciate I, it. I, okay. <laughs> I will I will make sure to do that. You're a wonderful person, whoever just subscribed, and I hope nothing but positive things for you. <laughs> so uh no bullet, right? No. So now we're both gonna be Icelander brothers again. We're we're back crazy how how so many things change but nothing changes. Yeah, we're just playing a little bit worse Icelander. I kind, I kind of like how this is all working out, by the way. It's going to be the third Titanic thumbnail in a row because, you know, there was Jack and Rose on the Titanic, happy as can be on top of the meta, and uh-huh. they were in the ocean, banned, and now we're playing old lady crippled Icelander as she tosses the heart jewel into the ocean. And so that's going to be the thumbnail this week, I've already decided. So, you know, okay. as long as I could keep... I don't know why we got on this Titanic train, I guess boat, uh, but here we are. The, the ship, the ship is the ship has sailed. The ship is sailing. Something, yeah. Until it sinks, I guess. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. You haven't seen that movie? Nope. 
That might have been the first pair of boobs 12-year-old Roger ever saw in his life. There's nudity in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I have do. you ever heard the meme, draw me like one of your French girls or whatever? I have heard that. Have you that. ever heard that? Yeah. That's from Titanic because Rose says to Jack, oh, draw me like one of your French girls, Jack, because he draws nude French girls. And so she gets naked on a couch and then he, he draws her. And I, I like the ones where it's just like, the, they, they edit it and then it's just like a stick figure with like boobies on a couch. <laughs> it's like, I, it's one of my favorite like gifts of all time. I don't know why. It's just really funny to me. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Icelander. So, so we're going to play some ice cards in our Icelander deck, I think. Yeah. But not, not amulet not, of ice. Not, not amulet of ice, not hypothermia, but some other ice cards. Yeah. So what are we thinking about replacing those cards with? So my initial thoughts. This is what I tested with and decided it was bad. I was like, hypothermia, it's some cyborg card for some matchups. We can just find some other high-valued cyborg card. And I landed on the Command and Conquer. I think it's good against Lexi. I think it's good against Stromai because it's a popper. And probably not playing it against anyone else. Maybe you play it against five, but it's not great there. It's fine. But, okay. Uh, have played zero games in a Dromai or Lexi since adding that to my deck. I think it's locked. I think it's in there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I'm on Command and Conquer too. I could see playing it into Boomer Bravo, um, and maybe Old Time, depending on what the cuts are from the main list as well. Sometimes they're playing defense reactions against us, uh, but and I think there's an argument to play more than sixty against Old Time as well. So uh, I'm still working out the exact details of how I want to sideboard out these matches, but I could see it coming in potentially against the guardians as well but i definitely don't like it against like a deck like briar because it's too easy as we were saying for briar to just block it with you know a non-attack action for four and then like grasp of the arc knight and it just covers up your command and conquer and they just move on with their life without really giving you too much of anything really and most of the time they're playing crown of providence too these days so yeah, they just really... have like multiple multiple ways to just stuff that card yep so i think that was the the first edition and then Aim of the device is a little bit harder to replace. I tried blue winter's bite and that card who is that card's underwhelming. There's a reason it didn't make the deck before. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting to me because I think this is going to be one of the spots where we're going to disagree on first. I'm, I'm still pretty happy with blue winter's bite. I've been really happy with how it's performed overall, I guess. Um, maybe it's like a little bit more contextual because uh, I guess maybe spoilers, but the last card you've also been testing has been like Red Sigil of Solace for the life gain because it's just hard for Icelander to use a lot of our cards sometimes. But um, I've basically replaced in the device with Red Winter's Bite. And I guess the combination of Winter's Bites I think play really well with each other because then you can play like a Red Winter's Bite into um, Activate Coronet Peak. Like it's just like a clean two card hand arsenal the blue winner's bite and then on your opponent's turn just strip their last card as soon as they do anything and it's just like a very clean way to like like i said strip their hand and deny them three cards across just one turn cycle so i don't know you also have less hand rip in general obviously without amulet it's advice and icelander is just a deck that needs to be bringing her opponents like down to our level i guess for lack of a better term yeah, down to the level I where saw, Wounded Bull is a good card. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also like, you know, just playing blue winners by attacking with Wounded Bull, just stripping a card and then forcing them to decide whether or not they want to block. It's just clean and giving you six winners bites just gives you more opportunities for that line to come up. Yeah, the the uh, blue winners bite into attacking with an attack action, I think, is where that card shined, shown, shines, shines, still shines there, I guess. The... <laughs> The issue is when you have it and you have like an ice vein or something that you want to be doing or you wanted to play a card in Coronet Peak or something like that. So that doesn't really work because if you play your blue winners by and they pitch a yellow or a blue, they'll have resources floating. So you can't really waiting them. You can't really Coronet Peak them. You can't really even deal arcane damage because they're going to have the floating resources anyway to arcane barrier. And that just like, well, you can, but it's just like inherently taking away quite a bit of value from the whole card that you're playing as this blue winner's bite. So blue winner's bite, I guess like I, I don't ever like I'll usually like block with two cards, um, play winner's bite and then arsenal my last card just to get that one hand strip out, out of my opponent's hand. Or I guess you activate coronet peak, but it also lets you just like if you, you've had a block with coronet peak at the end game, it just lets you still get that coronet peak effect. And sometimes your opponent will like pitch a red if they're if they just don't have it if they're just like stuck on reds or they'll discard a card and then when you activate coronet peak it's just like back breaking it doesn't come up very often but obviously when it does it's just like insane value uh but like i said for a card is insane value in icelander yeah dude because all you're taking away all their good cards they need to like be more than the sum of their parts especially in a deck like briar and then you just like here's my at rate cards i'm like oh no my cards aren't usually at rate. I'm attacking with engulfing lights. And you're like, aha, I did it. I think so. I guess the problem with that is you kind of like in order for that play pattern to come up, you'd have to keep the blue winners by and another blue to activate coronet peak. And so you play the winners by and suddenly they pitch a yellow. Well, your other blue isn't doing anything now. True. Yeah. Then you would just look to arsenal that card most of the time. Sure. But I guess most of the time I would rather arsenal a card than coronet peak them anyway. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come up a lot. Even if they pitch a I'm red. I'm just talking about like niche benefits, I guess, to it. Sure, sure. So I, I was very underwhelmed with Blue Winners by, and all those issues are like, before we even mention the fact that most people play final spring tunic against you, and sometimes they just have a tunic with three counters, and your Winners by is a textless block too. Yeah. But I guess the red Winners by in particular is nice because it gives us a red ice card. And. Now that we don't have like hypothermia to slow down some of our like more aggressive opponents, we kind of need to lean on Channel Lake Frigid a little bit harder, I think, especially in a deck like against Dash. And being able to consistent or a little bit more consistently keep that card around for two turn cycles helps a lot. So I, that's the other like benefit of having just like a red ice card in your deck. And that's originally why in the calling list, I also had red aether hail. Um, red aether hail was a card. I just most of the time just used to spend my two new counter on arsenal. My last card, it wasn't super amazing. It blocked three. I was just like, meh, but I think red winter's bite kind of just smooths out a lot of the issues I was having with newer Icelander. Yeah, I, I think, Thinking about it, the reason that I was playing Red Sigil of Solace is it lets you play multiple, like several card hands, like four card hands more easily. And it seems like Red Winner's Bite accomplishes everything I was trying to do with Sigil of Solace while also being an ice card for 
ice fusion reasons and potential channel like rigid reasons. So I think I'm on board with red winners by, and on top of that, it also blocks too, but most of the time I assume you're recasting it, not blocking with it. You yeah. You have to be stopping some pretty good on hits in order to block, but have at least having the option to block with the card. Should that come up is, is nice where you can just never stop and not hit it with sigil. You just get your three life. Yeah. And move on. I guess, I guess it's worse on turn zero, but basically at yes. the time in the game, the winners mm-hmm. by should be better. So yeah, makes sense to me. I like that. I'll, Probably play some games with it before Indianapolis and probably end up with it in my deck unless I find something that I currently can't think of as a reason not to play it. That's fair. So talk to me about Yellow Aether Ice Vein. How are you feeling about that card lately? <sighs> you need ways to trigger Insidious Chill. You don't need ways to trigger Amulet Vice anymore. See, that's interesting to me because like, I feel like Ice Fuse is more of a premium, I guess, since we only have so many strips after we set up uh, Insidious Chill. So in my mind, to an extent, I kind of want less Ice Fuse cards since it's not an optional trigger. It's a force trigger. So it's more of a thing where you, when you are trying to set it up and go for it, you really want to go for it. And that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to, I think I'm on board with one yellow Aether Ice Vein. I don't know if I'm going to go above that. Yeah, I, I could see cutting down to one. I'm not super attached to having two copies of it. Though I will say I've lost a lot more games with one or two unused Insidious Chill triggers than I've lost games that I've triggered Insidious Chill three times. That's fair. Most of the time I'm not even playing Insidious Chill against like the aggressive decks. And I guess like that's where I'm most wanting yellow aether ice vein anyways uh so i guess i'm just thinking more so i guess in the matchups where i'm even just even cutting yellow aether ice vein where i'm expecting my opponent to have like potential a b three or four playing oasis respites and things like that so like the guardians uh deck like dash i think yellow yellow aether ice vein is pretty bad against since they can play a b four pretty happily into you um and there's just a few other like deck situations where i'm just not super happy with it yeah and it's like especially awkward if they have AB4 and you have an Insidious Chill trigger in play or an Insidious Chill in play. Because like then suddenly if you play it, they cleanly answer it by pitching two blues and the Insidious Chill trigger and you spend two cards and Insidious Chill counter for two of their cards. It's like a horrible deal. Yeah, I would I would say it's actually probably worth it at that point to just not fuse the card. Just play your three for four arcane damage. Yeah, I think in, in those situations, almost always just like if you had like if they surprise you with AB4, maybe you played against a Rhinar and didn't expect them to have AB4 or something. I don't I don't know. And at that point, just hopefully you can block with the card. Yeah, for sure. Um and then in that its place, I think I want one channel the bleak expanse. I guess like so now that we now that we've talked about like everything that we're on board with, or I think things we mostly agree in, I think this is gonna be more of the spicy parts of the episode because I'm looking to play one or two like tech cards mm-hmm. that like give me some better equity into uh, certain scenarios. I really like Channel the Bleak Expanse in this meta. Um, one because I think it's very good against Briar, especially you know, it, and potentially even I guess you wouldn't know this ahead of time, and I probably wouldn't play it into Guardians Blind. But if you know somehow you're scouted and they're on like Royal. Uh, draw tried like or earth or bounty 
uh, Guardian style decks, it's good into them. Uh, but against Briar, like playing Tome of Harvest, like if they play Tome of Harvest and you play uh, the Channel of the Bleak Expanse, you know, they're very sad, <laughs> obviously. Uh, if they play Sonata Arcanic, stumping some resource into it, you play Channel of the Bleak Expanse, they're very sad about it. I just think it has enough spots where it's relevant. And then in addition to that, I actually kind of really like it in the mirror. But I don't know what your thoughts are about that. I haven't played with it in the mirror. It seems pretty awkward to me. Like, when are you looking to cast it in the mirror? I would think it just functions kind of like um, a channel like Frigid in the endgame where it protects you from just dying out of nowhere because if most most of the time it's going to come down to we're both sitting on some insidious chills, it, it probably used to matter a lot more with Amulet's Device, but I can still see it mattering now. Or um, playing... Ice Eternal setting up the Frost X combo. It just lets you uh, not die to that on your turn. And then when it goes away at the end of your turn, you're the first person then who would get the crack at, you know, Frost Hexing and Sidious Chilling and Ice Eternaling them. So that's kind of the spy I'd see it being good in. Yeah, I guess I kind of feel like you don't get the first crack at it because it goes to their turn when you do it and then, or when it goes away and they're like, okay, I'll fuse my Aether Ice Vein now and trigger my Insidious Chills. Okay, and then you just crack your boots and play at instant speed on top of them because there's no more amulet device for them to crack. I guess I haven't played in a mirror without amulet device yet. So I think I think losing amulet device in the mirror makes the matchup just way more snowbally. But I haven't played him. This is all like theory in my mind. But uh, I just think losing amulet device makes the mirror just like I said, more snowbally because that was just like what was so important about amulet device in the end game, where if your opponent cracks their storm striders, you just get to come in and just go like, okay, you're cracking your storm striders. That's cute. Here's, I'm going to activate my amulet device. You, you don't have a hand anymore or anything to cast hmm. where now, if your opponent cracks storm striders and you want to stop them, you'll have to crack your storm striders and refuse another card if you have insidious chill triggers left and if you can even do that and that just seems like a very weird technical play that i don't see coming up very often so i don't know yeah this it could happen on the back of energy potions i guess but it'd be really like like if you're pitching a blue to play aether ice vein then you're going to three cards in hand Pay, you pitch a blue to activate Storm Striders. Then you, if your last card is a blue ice card and Aether Ice Vein, you're still a resource short of being able to cast another one and fuse it. So you'd have to e pot that. And then you, you could e pot that, I guess, and then do it. But it sounds convoluted and not very likely to be like a real, I don't want to say a real line, but a real line. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think losing Amulet of Ice. You know, also like you can't do the classic hide your amulets of ice behind your energy potions. You know, there are lots of angle shooters out there who would, you know, not very cleanly set up their battlefields and like say like, oh yeah, I just have these epots over here. And then you're like, oh, okay, cool. I'll crack my epots. You're like, oh yeah, I got you. I'll activate my amulets of ice in response. And you're like, nobody appreciated that play. You know, it just, it just wasn't fun for anybody involved. So just less cluttered battlefield, I think will make for cleaner mirrors overall. Nothing was hidden. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you're talking Are you saying you're an angle shooter like that, Michael? I, don't, I wasn't, a, I didn't say it. you did it. I just said, you know, it just, it's a cleaner interaction overall. I'm not uh, accusing. I would never accuse you of that, Michael. Uh-huh. You know? 
So anyway. <laughs> one so thing yeah, that, Chain of the... Oh, go ahead. Go, go. I, I was going to say, one thing that can be said about Chain of the Bleak Expanse is there's definitely times in the Icelander mirror where no one's like doing anything. You're kind of like just looking at each other, like doing nothing. And like the fact that that can happen sometimes means you will, you will sometimes have windows to cast this card where it's not like actively hurting you. Yeah, and it's still just like a one cost card, so it's clean to just like cast uh, your opponent's like on your opponent's turn and then activate Waning Moon uh, if like their shields are down or something like that. So I don't know. I, I think it'll have its spots, and I think it's like I said. I, I think it's also good into Briar if you set it up, and I don't think it's a card also that you should get married to in your arsenal for that reason. Like if like a turn cycle goes by, you have a new card you want to arsenal but you're not getting like good value out of it. Just play it, give them a frostbite, activate your waiting moon and move on. I just don't let it like, don't look for the insane blowouts for it every time. Just if it's good, it's good. And if it's not, don't, I guess, play the entire game around it. I don't think that's really worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it used to be a card that I thought was like reasonable and defy as well because he had Belittle and Art of War, but now with Belittle gone, I don't know if, you can really play. Yeah, I don't think I'd play Notify. Stopping two cards off Art of War, which is supposed to be their biggest turn of the game, and then they lose two cards is really big, but you can't really sit on it in Arsenal while you wait for an Art of War. You just like have to be very lucky to line it up against the Art of War since they have three Art of Wars. Like most turns are not going to be an Art of War turn, so who knows how long it has to sit there. Yeah, it also stops Mask of the Pouncing Links because they're probably playing that into you instead of Mask of Momentum. So sure. they go to crack it, the trigger's on the stack for them to activate it. You channel them, but that seems like a lot of things have to line up for that to happen, I guess. And every other opportunity in the game, it just seems like it's not really going to do very much for you. And it's a two block. So I, th- I think this conversation will look really nice when like we see in the top eight, you, uh, you chain on the bleak expanse of fire in response to their stuff and blow them out. <laughs> <laughs> We're just leveling people. Like we would never play channel the bleak expanse into a five. Why would we? And then... <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've, are, are you a believer in Channel the Fleek Expanse? Have I made my case, or are you still off it? I don't think I, I still don't think I'm on it because I think it might have times where it's okay in the mirror. Mm. I think it has times where it's very good against Briar, but those times are specifically Tome of Harvest, I think if they just Sonata for zero and you channel the Bleak Expanse, it's not really like a great exchange for you. It's fine, but like it's like the same as if they missed off their Sonata. Yeah, but Sonata's always hit, right? So That's why they play it, because that always draws them a card and deals a point of arcade. You spent you spend a card and a resource to counter one of their cards and give them a frostbite. It doesn't seem like I don't know. I guess like if you're looking for your 79th or 80th card and all the other cards are worse than that, it it's better than some of the cards you could play. So <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Maybe I won't even play it in a briar. Who knows? That's why we're talking this through. This is why we're working this out in real time. You know, maybe else, maybe I won't even have it in my deck. Maybe I will. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, you'll be on Bolton. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Maybe I'll. You know, yeah, I'll just cry myself to sleep and then i'll realize i this is just what i have backed myself into now but i'll probably still play icelander uh the last card that i think that i kind of want to tech for and i guess i'm worried about like 
if Drill might start packing Thaw or like this fatigue old time that has um, the Warhorn where people start trying to like blow or like even like Viscerai or like these rune blades if they try to like go for this fatigue strategy and start just like attacking our frost axes. What do you think about like one tech remembrance? I hate remembrance. I know you do. I know you I, hate remembrance. It is not a card I want in my deck. I would not say I would never put a remembrance in my deck. I don't tend to talk in absolutes, but only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> it would have to be. Yeah, I don't even get that reference, but it's a Star Wars reference. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think if the metagame is like so hostile towards Icelander that your Frost Hexes are being attacked this aggressively, then you should probably just be playing a different hero. If everyone's ready and prepared to fatigue you through Frost Hex combo, then it's probably not a good tournament to play Icelander at. I think like. After the bans, I think she is not going to be nearly as popular as she was before. And I think appropriately people will, I think it's appropriate for there to be less like cyborg decisions made with like specifically for Icelander, like these cards that are only good into Icelander, like uh, whatever the Runeblade one is that blows up some enchantments. Looming Doom, right? No, that's the blue one. The uh, turns your rune chants into damage. Uh, runic reclamation. Okay. Runic reclamation can't Ru- blow up frost hex though. Not runic reclamation. The new one that makes both players sack an enchantment. I thought that's looming doom. No, looming doom is the blue doom? three block that turns all your rune chants into two damage. Oh. Uh, <laughs> diabolic. Some. Yeah. Something. Something diabolic. Yeah, that one, that one. If everyone's, if they're all playing that one and have AB3 and are ready to fatigue you, then Icelander's probably just not, it's not, it's not, it's not a weekend for Icelander, I think. You don't think just like one Remembrance just fixes that though? Well, if you sit against, if you sit down against a Briar, are you putting Remembrance in your deck? No. If you sit down against a Viscera, are you putting Remembrance in your deck? Maybe, the matchup's. Very good. It's <laughs> so us. good that you can just put this <laughs> yeah, reference yeah. in anyway, and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, if deck lists are open, if the whole tournament's open deck lists, I could definitely see registering one remembrance and then just like having it there when you need it, when you see these people that are like have their sideboard devoted to beating Icelander. But I don't think with closed deck lists, you can really afford to play remembrance in most of the matchups, even against Oldheim, if they're just like a more aggressively slanted Oldheim. Since I think the two ways you can take old time are extremely aggressive and extremely defensive. And you don't want remembrance against the aggressive versions of old time. That's fair. I guess I'm not really worried that much about the aggressive versions of old time. Maybe I should be more worried about them than I am the fatigue versions of old time. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Both, both versions definitely have the tools to be Icelander if that's what they want to be. So don't feel great about, well, I don't know. Maybe it's better for Icelander now that they don't have Whale. But before, I think like Old Time had the tools to beat Icelander if that was the matchup he wanted to beat. Yeah. And I guess we're going to Winner's Whale. What? I, I know I've learned this lesson before. I've learned this lesson before, but I'm still thinking about playing Oasis Respite. I know I've, I've played it, and every time I put it in my deck, I'm like, this card seems underwhelming. And now, right now, I'm like, hmm. 
maybe I should play some Oasis respites. What? I, I don't know. What are you looking to use Oasis respite on? On big, scary dominate attacks that are big and scary, doing a lot of things. Pummel CNC, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you'd be Oasis respiting against the Guardians? Yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't love it, but I think it's like not the I don't know. You you're getting kind of like bad value on your card. I think you're probably better off just playing more zero for fours like fate for scenes rather than Oasis Respite. And it's worse against Dominate when it's in your hand, and it's worse against CNC, but outside of that, it's just reasonably better, reasonably more efficient. Wait, why is it worse than dominate when it's in your hand? If they dominate a card and you have fate for in your hand, then oh, I thought you'd say Oasis respite when yeah. they have it. Sorry, sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but in any situation other than that, just the fate for seeing the more efficient zero for four is just better, right? So those two situations have to be like happening often enough that you want the Oasis respite. It's also better in the mirror. Like I could play like one Oasis respite in the mirror and feel a lot better that I won't just lose the game on the spot for arsenaling it if you know about it. Sure, yeah. but you shouldn't have any of those cards in, in the mirror. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to play Channel of the Bleak Expanse and Remembrance and Oasis Respite against you in the finals of the calling in our Icelander show, mirror. I'm show gonna, show me how it's done. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away with with uh, the cold foil crown of uh, Providence. Right, that's the one we're, we're we're competing for this weekend. I don't actually know. I think so. I think that's what the still champion gold cold foil is. Okay. Cool. It's been a while since I've played a calling. Same. It'll be a while before we play a calling ever again. I hope that's not true. I hope we have a calling before. I don't know before. Yeah, maybe they'll announce like the Outsiders uh, world premiere, and it'll be in like Columbus, Ohio. Everybody wants to go to Columbus, Ohio for a world premiere, right? I want to go yeah. to Columbus, Ohio for a world premiere. <laughs> I, I don't think I am everybody. I want to go anywhere that is not that far away from me. So Yeah, exactly. Chicago, Chicago wouldn't be a bad place for them to have a world premiere. Yeah. They upgrade the min-max tournament to a world premiere. Oh, that is awkward. Maybe they don't want it in the Midwest. Poor yeah. min-max games. They can just upgrade it. They could be like, yeah, you're, you're, your thing's actually a calling world premiere thing. That'd be sick. Yeah, that's fair. Um... So we've talked about some of the more known good and bad matchups that Icelander's facing. I guess we haven't really talked about Dash, though. So you've said a lot that you think Icelander's much worse in the Dash now, but can you go into kind of the reasons why? Yeah, so the biggest reason that it was a tough matchup is Dash is very good at like spending however many resources she gets on a turn with having several items she can like load or basically activate she can usually spend whatever amount of resources she ends up with she can spend that amount of resources so your frostbites generally aren't particularly impactful against her um all of her cards block for three and are pretty interchangeable so when you attack she can easily just block with two three blocks when you attack with like a wounded boar finals fighting spirit and still play a pretty solid turn because of how flexible her weapons are in that regard 
And Dash's biggest weakness is how quickly she burns through her deck. But the combination of having AB3 or AB4, depending on which gloves they play, and us not having a physical damage weapon, it's really hard to threaten to run her out of cards as Icelander. So yeah. she she can be like more lenient, more carefree with boosting things away, even activating her chess piece to banish two cards and gain an extra and go net plus one resource. Let's her just play like these super efficient turns against us over and over and over again. Without and still end the game with like a bad end game for us with the pistol lock. Mm-hmm. And so all, all those things combined just kind of lead to it being a pretty rough matchup. Our two saving graces are Channel Lake Frigid is extremely good against the pistols because to fire a pistol, it is one activation to load the pistol and one activation to fire the pistol, which are both getting taxed by channel. So it's two extra resources every time she fires the pistol. And then all of her other items also cost one additional to load and one additional to use. So if she wants to use the inductor chamber to give the pistol go again, suddenly it's two extra resources to activate, to load and activate the induction chamber, plus the two extra resources to load and fire the pistol. You're looking at six resources to induction chamber plus pistol. Just once. And so, and Channel Lake Frigid is very, very good against pistol. It's great to have late in the game against Dash because hopefully she's through most of her big red attacks at that point. And then you channel and she has these items that is a big part of her end game against us, but gets slowed down drastically by Channel Lake Frigid. Then the other card that's very good is Hypothermia. That that card is banned. That card used to be a card you could let wait till Dash has like a four or five card hand. She does some big boost attack. You play Hypothermia. She wastes two, sometimes even three cards in her hand, depending on what her boost starting card was. Usually it's like two cards and a resource or two that she wastes. And that like plus card and a half of value of Hypothermia is was often enough to swing the matchup. That's usually worth like seven or eight points of value off one card. So yeah, absolutely. Saving all that was, it makes sense that, that was being a matchup, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think red winter's bite is good then? I guess like, even if we're not casting it, even the opportunity to just try to keep channel like frigid and like war turns around, I guess like, how do you think casting that card against dash will impact the matchup? And, or are you, would you cut it? So, I don't think I would cut it because like Dash's average card is worth more than three points of damage just because all of Dash's cards are above rate. So mm-hmm. I'd rather have Red Winter's Bite than just some random three block. So I think it makes sense. The fact that you can pitch it plus another ice card to keep your channel around for an extra turn is pretty valuable, especially like towards the end of first cycle where you're at reaching the end of your first cycle, but Dash is actually into her second cycle because of Dash's mechanics, how she just like gets mm-hmm. through her first cycle faster. Um, she'll have a lot more blues, but also, so she'll have a lot less attacks, which makes Channel Lake Frigid very valuable at that point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or I guess on the other side of things, a lot of times she casts a Spark of Genius, which once she casts her first Spark of Genius, her like blue density goes up because she's been pitching a bunch of blues and playing a bunch of reds. So when she shuffles after playing Spark of Genius, her blue density is higher too. And means she would be more reliant on using the pistol, which again means Channel Lake Frigid is quite good against her there. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. 
Do you think any other matchups are significantly impacted by these bands? Yeah, I think Dromai gets a lot harder without hypothermia. Hypothermia was kind of your out to both the Mai and Chromai. If you had a hypothermia in Arsenal when they played one of these scary dragons, you played a hypothermia and they would get to attack you once or twice with the dragons, but that was it, rather than with their whole army of dragons. I think Command and Conquer will have spots that is reasonably better than Hypothermia would have been, and it'll have spots where you really wish you could have just arsenaled Hypothermia there. So, Yeah, I'd, that was a matchup that I think actually shakes out to be about the same with the inclusion of the extra poppers, so that I don't know. Sense. And then we also played Hypothermia against Briar, and I think that matchup is a little bit harder without it, but I still think that if Briar doesn't have a very good plan to ice center, a plan that we haven't found one that works really well, then it's still going to be a very tough matchup for Briar. Yeah. Even with all my Icelander rust, I've still been able to like easily cruise past all of the Briars and play testing so far. So that's been, you know, kind of the whole reason why I transitioned back. So I went going from like, Oh, and six on Bolton into Briar to like five and one into Briar. And that's like a much cleaner turnaround, you know? Yeah. And, Honestly, like, I spent a lot of time looking for another hero to play. I played a bunch of games of Dromai. I played a bunch of games of Bolton. But it seems like Briar is, like, kind of the consensus deck going into Indianapolis. And when that's the case, it just feels like we have a deck that counters Briar. We should probably just be playing it, right? Yeah, and it's not, like, a deck that's, like, just folds against the rest of the field, too. It definitely has some more challenging matchups but kind of the most rewarding thing about Icelander is that it gives you so much leverage to like have agency over the game make meaningful decisions and like give you spots for your opponent's misplay and for you to I guess like maximize the value of your deck Mm -hmm. so I guess like that's also a reason to play it if you're already very comfortable on a deck like Icelander I don't think it's necessarily if you've never touched a deck like Icelander before this weekend I don't think now would be the best time to just like take it into the calling and feel like you just can't ever lose to these briars because I don't think that's the case but I still think overall if like you're comfortable on the hero it just seems like a very I don't want to say like safe pick but a safe pick (laughs) so I guess one follow-up question so we're kind of we're talking about this all before Indianapolis is episode is going to go up friday reasonably there's like 24 hours or so before decklists are due at the point this episode is going to go up do you feel like i guess how much does it feel like us putting this out there hurts our odds of winning the tournament or doing well at the tournament um well i'm gonna go with my classic saying now at this point where i feel like we can say michael hamilton's registering a ham sandwich for this calling and you'd still do reasonably well and have a good shot of call, uh, at winning it so i know other podcasts have talked about this in the past like influencing the metagame and you know all that stuff but i'd still rather us i guess be like open and honest because like even because so like this is the second time we're recording the podcast and at the end of the last uh i guess behind the scenes here a little <laughs> bit uh so earlier in the week on tuesday night we recorded the podcast and before i had tested heavily into briar it was scheduled for like that evening into wednesday and i was like oh yeah i'm on bolton i'm gonna crush this whole thing and it was just like me just confidently sit, still saying that i'm happy with bolton i feel really good about it 
and then the playtesting session happened and we're like i'm like oops we need to uh find some time and re-record this podcast so here we are and so even if i was locked on bolton i would have happily and confidently said that and at the end of the day just because we have a platform we either have the choice to like lie to people and say like bad information and what we're like actively like I guess like either way we're manipulating the metagame, right? If we say what we don't think, we're manipulating the metagame in a certain direction if people listen to us what what we say. And if we say what we think, we're we could be manipulating the metagame one way or another. So I'd rather us just be honest about how we feel and what we're thinking about going into an event like the calling. I think additionally, you know, it matters more so like this kind of information for an event like before a pro tour. Like I would not be comfortable like with us talking like this openly before like and putting this out like the day before Pro Tour or something like that. But you know, it's just a big open event. I think there'll still be a lot of people there who don't listen to us that we can meet and talk to and hopefully, you know, grow the game that way. And if somebody wants to, you know, take their deck that destroys Icelander because they heard Michael Hamilton and was on the deck that weekend, like good for them. They still have to get through the rest of the field. At the end of the day, we're still just two players. Mm -hmm. I I like all that. And I I do think I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing this stuff before like a pro tour. I think a calling being like several levels, I guess it's just like one, the next level up is a pro tour from a calling, but this kind of feels like the line where I feel like comfortable sharing the stuff beforehand mm-hmm. and then yeah and the field that pro tours are just so much smaller that like this information is more powerful but like in a bigger field like the more open it is the less this kind of stuff matters right yeah that's that's fair too and then additionally like since joining the wolf pack i felt like i want to be careful with what we share and put out there because i don't want to put out like if brody spends <laughs> or Brody or Zach spends forever and comes up with this perfect briar list. I wouldn't, that's not really ours to share if that makes sense. But like mm. this Icelander deck feels like we've been working on it. We're the ones playing Icelander Indianapolis. I don't think anyone else on the team is, I guess that might be a spoiler that isn't really, I don't know, but. <laughs> and ultimately it's not even that different from your world list though. Like it's like not, it's not. It's not like we completely redefined the deck and took out all of the attack actions and put in a bunch of like freezing points and uh, what's the one that uh, Eisenhall weather veins and we went all in on the combo or anything like that. Like we're still just playing the same old deck. No, th- there will be a meta game for combo Icelander. This just isn't it. Yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't feel comfortable trying to take one combo deck that folded to Briar. And then trying to take a second combo deck that would then also die horribly to Briar. But think so. about it. This one has good disruption for Briar, and you can mm. sit around and you set up your frost hexes and you give her frost bites and then you die. And then like if you lived six more turns and eventually you'd combo kill her. Yeah. Cause like the games against Briar <laughs> still end. Like even when you're disrupting her, she's still like, okay, nimbleism snatch for seven. And you look at your hand and you're like, oh. Um, Block with my I, eyes I and how weather <laughs> Yeah, like I, it's not like Icelander is a deck that like blocks amazingly well. You don't have a fridge to just like stuff attacks like repeatedly throughout the to like to help with these breakpoints a lot. And for life, <laughs> at some point you need to like take turns off to like 
actually set up your combo pieces, play like these insidious chills and frost hexes that cost a lot of resources to do. And Briar's going to punish you hard for doing turns like that. And it's also set like at the end of the game, I guess you're playing at instant speed, so that helps a little bit, but I don't know. Just it just seems like a lot to ask to like play your Ice and Howl Weather Vane at instant speed with your can you even do that? I think it's just an ice card, right? It's not even a nice wizard card. Yeah, so. you can't play the Eisenhower at instant speed. Yeah. So this whole deck is just already falling apart in theory. I think the idea is you play it on your turn. Then you cast Ice Eternal. How do you get through Briar's turn cycle yeah, at the no, end of the game? No, you got you, you have twenty life to spare to no blocks everything, uh, and then okay, and okay, then okay. you go Tunic, Eisenhower, Weathervane. Mm-hmm. Play Ice Eternal. Are we playing Epo- Are we playing Epots against Briar now too? Yeah, yeah, Epots. No blocks. So, so yeah, some so sweet we no go, blocks in we go Eisenhower, Weathervane, Ice Eternal for like four. You fuse it. You trigger your your Ice. What's the card called? Insidious Chill. Strip their hand. So they can't clear all these frostbites. So then they have eight frostbites to take eight damage. They got multiple frost exes in play. You pitch your ice card to swing waiting minute, and then you arsenal your freezing point. And then on their turn, you storm strike as your freezing point. Boom. Get him. <laughs> Just that easy. I don't know. I'm changing my deck list right now. Here I go. Eisenhower, weather, vein, freezing point. Okay, done. Fixed deck. All right. The other, the other combo, you thing. can play the, the ice sigil. So Briar goes snatch um, and you go ice sigil. Sigil permafrost? Yeah, sigil permafrost. And then I don't know what you do after that, but you do something and you have frost X in play. Boom. Dead Briar. Well, you, then you play like your frosting from Arsenal. Give them a frostbite, activate your waning moon, give them more frostbites. And then you. Uh, and they take a bunch of. Frost axe damage. The end. Yeah, because you spend a bunch of time casting these frost axes against them because you had a bunch of time because Briar's a very slow deck that doesn't kill you very quickly. Exactly. You understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, why so, are we trying to like race and play like this tempo game when it's just this easy? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You just, dis- you just disrupt her and she doesn't kill you anymore. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. You're about to say something though. I don't, I don't even remember. Okay. Well, I think uh, before this podcast goes any more off the rails, we should start wrapping things up then. Do you have any concluding thoughts about, I guess, the calling, Icelander, or life in general, Michael? No. <laughs> okay. What about you? I'm glad you gave it a good think. Uh, I'm good. And, you know, if you see us over the weekend in the calling, come up, say hi, uh, bring your baby. Michael will happily sign it for $20. I'm not, I'm not signing baby. Well, wait, $20. <laughs> yeah, they pay you, you They pay you $20 and you sign their baby. That's your rate, right? Or have you upped it? Is it $30 now? Is there a world champion premium on the baby signing? Okay, well, negotiate with him in real time. I mean, he's, a, he's a reasonable guy overall when you see him at the calling over the weekend. And uh, yeah, next time you see us at the calling in Indianapolis, always remember, mind your manners. Thanks for watching. <laughs>